A few years back, uh, I was working at Suncor as a firefighter, and one day at around uh, 6 in the morning, the tones went off and woke us up. Sorry, we sleep at work. It was great. Uh, the tones went off and woke us up. There was an alarm coming from one of the upgraders. So we hurried out into the bay. We got our bunker gear on, and I jumped into the ladder truck with a guy named Neil. And if you know where the fire hall is at Suncor, you know it rests on this big hill that overlooks the whole plant. And, uh, and so we turned the corner from the fire hall and we see the whole plant in view. And there is fire. Uh, the upgrader one is on fire and the flames are going hundreds of feet into the air. We were a couple of kilometers away and we could feel the heat from the fire on our faces through the windshield. And uh, actually, I pulled out my BlackBerry Pearl. That's how long this was ago. I had a little BlackBerry Pearl, and I snapped a photo of it. And then I looked at Neil, and I kind of somberly said, he was driving, I so kind of somberly said, uh, Neil, that is the biggest fire I've ever seen in my life. And uh, with uh, a well of confidence, Neil looked at me, and he said, meh, we'll have it out in five minutes. Very confident guy. Um, that fire burned for three days. <laughs> so he was a little bit off on his estimates, but there's something about that profession, about being a firefighter and paramedic, that trains you to not take serious things seriously. It's sort of a defense mechanism that you develop over time. You, you always say things like, well, the, the fire isn't as bad as it looks. That wreck isn't as bad as it could have been. You say things like, that injury is not as life-threatening as you think it is. You start to take seriously, serious things less seriously. And that attitude is one that has not always served me well. Um, yeah, it's, it was 2007, uh, so I was uh, a, only a firefighter for a couple of years. We had just had our son, Justice, and, uh, but something happened in my life that was super awesome. I got invited to worship lead for a youth conference called Richter. It was going Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and for a young guy at the time, this was a big deal for me. I was so excited. I had gone to Richter all my life, every year, as a student, and then finally, I was asked to contribute, and uh, I was very excited. It was going to be uh, one of the coolest things I was going to get a chance to do. Um, finally, the weekend arrived. We had planned for months. Our band was ready. We were excited, and on the day, on Friday morning, I got a call from my captain who said, hey, Lucas, uh, unfortunately, I need you to work three night shifts this weekend. And I said, well, actually, I can't. I got this thing. You know, I, I'm going to be busy. I, I can't. And he said, I am not asking you. You have to work this weekend. This is forced overtime. And it was this point where I should have said, yes, sir, whatever you say, sir, anything you say, sir. Uh, but instead of doing that, I, I think I mumbled something about, oh, I'm not going to be there, and I hung up on him. Yeah. So I led worship that weekend. It was awesome. <laughs> it was a highlight memory for me. It was so much fun. Uh, and then Monday morning came. And I went to work, and as soon as I got to work, my captain looked at me, and he's like, the chief wants to see you upstairs. And suddenly I was gripped with fear. Uh, 
I, I got call, I called into his office, the chief's office, and I walked in, and before I could even sit down, he began screaming at me. He tore a strip off me, and I was terrified. Um, he yelled at me so loudly and so vehemently that spit flecks were coming out of his mouth and landing on my face, and I dare not wipe them off. It was terrifying. And so after a few minutes of him screaming at me, he sort of calmed down and he fell back in his seat and he took a deep breath. And there was a moment of silence. And after what felt like an eternity, he finally looked up at me and he said, Lucas, you just can't do this sort of stuff. You have a family. You have a baby. You are responsible for them. It is your job to take care of them. What would you do if I had to fire you because of this? <sighs> he was right. I escaped that office that day with only a letter on my file, but a valuable lesson learned that some things are more important and they deserve to be treated that way. Family is so important. It deserves our complete effort. It requires our full commitment. And as we talked about last week, it, it takes a lot, but it's actually really easy to screw it up sometimes too. See, here at Fort City, we believe that family is so very important that we've decided to spend these five weeks talking about it, learning together, and hopefully by the end of all of this, our families will be just that much stronger. We believe that we are in this together. And as I prepared to talk today, I talked a bit about this last week, and I should be honest, uh, I read a lot of parenting books. I should have done that before I became a parent. Uh, Ten years too late, I think, on that front. Um, but yeah, I read a lot of uh, uh, parenting books. And, and the thing that I noticed about each book was that each book had a different angle, uh, a different viewpoint on parenting. They had different tactics and strategies. None of them seemed to be saying the exact same thing. And, 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 and there was a whole lot of opinion involved in these books and, and what's the best way to raise a family. And I, I kind of decided that that's probably because each family is different. Uh, each parent is different and was raised themselves differently. Each child is different and responds differently to their parents than, than their friends. There is no cookie cutter way to raise a child. There is no catch-all way to discipline. There is no perfect way to talk to your teenager. What works for some kids doesn't work for others. And when it comes to parenting, sometimes it feels like it's more art than it is science, that it's more improv than it is script work. And the idea that I'm going to stand up here and in 20 minutes untangle the complexity and struggle of parenting is one I had to let go of pretty early in my preparation. But what I can do is remind each of us just how important our role as parents is and just how important our role is if we're aunts or uncles or grandparents or even just friends, what role we play in the development of children and in the development of healthy families. For me, as a parent, I have one objective, that when my kids become adults, 
that I can sit back and know they are going to make good decisions on their own without my input. I don't want to have to force them to do right. I want, them, I want to teach them the value of doing right. And so that when they're outside my view and when they're eventually outside of my home, that they do right all on their own. So that they don't forget the lessons that they learned from me and my wife. There's a great historical account of a guy named Joshua that we're going to dive into. Joshua was the leader of Israel. A man whose job it was to lead the people of God, the people of Israel, out of wilderness, out of wandering, and into a land that God had promised them. They had escaped slavery in Egypt, but their trouble did not end there. Forty years they spent wandering and trying to find their way. Now, after all that time, they were close. They were about to enter the land that God had promised. But Joseph stood at the, sorry, Joshua stood at the edge of the Jordan River, a huge river. And it was one of the last obstacles between him and a new home for his people. And he had come so far, he had seen so much, and now this mighty river stood in the way. And, and the book tells us that we are told it was at flood stage. And it was wild and dangerous. The water crashed over its banks and no sane person would attempt to cross this river at this time of year. But Joshua had come too far and he had overcome too much to let this river stand between him and the promise of God. He would cross this river and it would not be the first time that God made a way for him. Let's rewind back a few years. Joshua is just a child. And Moses is the leader of Israel. Moses had only recently convinced Pharaoh to release his people from slavery. They had escaped, but for many, it seemed too good be, to be true. That the mood was tense among the people of Israel and their freedom felt fragile. Moses had led his people out of slavery, away from Pharaoh, and now they stood at the edge of the Red Sea, a giant obstacle in their way. And just now, the people of Israel are noticing a dust cloud rising behind them in the distance. And it was an army coming their way. Pharaoh had changed his mind. And he wanted them back as slaves. And if he couldn't have them, he wanted them dead. The people of Israel began to panic. They were trapped between uh, uh, the Red Sea and an army that sought to kill them. And Joshua would have heard the people's fear and doubt. He would have sensed it going throughout the Israel camp. And he would have heard them say to Moses, did you lead us out of Egypt only so that we could die here? Were there not enough graves back in Egypt? You've doomed us, Moses. We would have been better off to stay as slaves. But Moses held out his arms to quiet their fear and he shouted, do not be afraid. Stand firm. And you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. And then the wind began to rage and the water divided down the center. And God made a way for his people to escape through the Dead Sea on dry land. 
It is a profound and unbelievable miracle. It was a moment that held incredible power. And for young Joshua, it was a moment he would never forget. If you look at the historical account of Israel, you will see God time and time again show his faithfulness to rescue, restore, and redeem the people of Israel. But you may also notice that they often would forget the faithfulness of God and turn away from him. And shortly after this group of people walked upon the bottom of the Dead Sea, they began to crumble, they began to grumble and complain again, doubting God and losing their faith. So let's fast forward back to Joshua, standing on the banks of the Jordan River. He has been here before. And he had seen God be faithful to rescue him before. He had crossed the Red Sea with his family so many years before. And now, with the courage of someone who had been there before, whose trust was firmly in their God, he instructed his people to cross this raging river. Now, I tried to put myself in the shoes of the people of the time. It's, it's healthy to try to imagine yourself there. It's dangerous. It's scary. And after Joshua tells them to cross, I like to imagine somebody asking him, hey, aren't you going to hold up your staff and part the water like Moses did? Because, you know, they walked across on dry land. Just, just saying, Joshua, Moses did it that way. But that's not how it was going to work this time. It wasn't until they took their first step into the water, as they took their first step of faith, that the water stopped flowing upstream. And it wasn't until their toes got wet that God made a way through for them. And once again, the people of God walked through the water on dry land. Guys, if you are a leader and you pull off something as amazing as this, you dust off your hands, you put your feet up, and you call it a day. Good job. But Joshua was not ready to rest yet. See, as a child, he had seen God do this very thing before, but he also remembers that the people of Israel forgot it. He had seen them ignore what God had done in the past. He had seen their faithfulness to God fade as the miracles of God move further and further into the past. But not this time. Joshua would not let them forget this time. And so before the river began to flow again, Joshua instructed 12 of his strongest men to gather 12 huge stones from the bed of the river and arrange them in a monument. And then he told them, in the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. He did not want them to forget that day. He did not want them to forget where they had been. He did not want them to forget the lesson that they learned that day. That a God who says he will do something will do it. 
that a God who makes a promise, you know, we serve a God who when he makes a promise, he keeps it. You know, sometimes I think that uh, parenting is less about building a bright future for our children as it is giving them a past that they can stand on, a past that they can build on, a past full of monuments that remind them that when they felt alone or unable, that God was there with them. Lessons learned. And like the Inuit who build Inuksuks to mark vital hunting grounds or essential travel routes, in the lives of our children and families, we need to be building monuments worth remembering. Like Joshua building a monument so the people of Israel would not forget their rescue, we need to give our children monumental moments they can look back on for guidance. See, in many ways, what we've done this morning in baptism serves this purpose for our faith. The, th the thing about faith is, is it's full of ups and downs. It's hardly ever a constant. Some days you feel the passion, and other days you struggle with your doubts. But for guys like Anson and Jonathan who got baptized this morning, their baptism will serve as a monumental moment, a tactile and physical piece of their story that they can look back on and remember. So when doubt comes into their life, when the pain feels like it's too much, they can look back at this moment today and remember. They can remember their heart racing. They can remember the nervousness in their stomachs. They can remember the people in the room and remember how big their faith felt when their toes hit the water. They will remember how sure they were about their decision to be baptized today. It will be a moment that they can look back on and stand on. You know, when I look back on my own personal childhood, I have a difficult time remembering lessons that my parents told me, that they verbalized to me. In fact, if you ask me what my dad or mom said most often that I don't remember, there's no real lessons, no quips I can give you about uh, uh, that they said to me. But don't get me wrong, they taught me many lessons. I just remember their actions more than I remember their words. Growing up, my parents were continually uh, letting people who hit hard times in their lives live with us in our home. So our home always had kids and adults coming and going out of it. And one time there was a couple who was down on their luck who my parents uh, invited to live with us. And they were, they were okay, but they were an older couple and they, they were having a hard go. And one day I was at the gas station and I saw their picture up on the wall and they had stolen from the gas station. They had filled up their vehicle with gas and drove off without paying for it. And these were the people living with me in my house. And so I went to my mom and I told her all about this. And I fully expected my mom to kick these people out. But she didn't. She let them stay. And she continued to help them. See, that day, my mom built a monument that will always remind me, that will cause me to always remember that people matter and that we have an obligation to love everybody the way that Jesus would. Or there's the day that I discovered that my dad grew up in an orphanage 
that he had experienced the pain of being forgotten, that he had known the trauma of being alone. And having experienced that trauma for himself of being a forgotten child, he chose as an adult to adopt my sister, Jill. When I discovered that, that day, my dad built a monument for me that I will never forget. That all children matter. And that I have a responsibility to take care of the lost ones. Growing up, my brothers uh, were all high school football stars. Quarterbacks and running backs getting touchdowns. I did musical theater. <laughs> yes, I did. I always felt a little different from my family in that way. We were a football family, and I was singing and dancing on stage in front of people. And I always felt a little uncomfortable about that until one time after a show, I was in the lobby down at Keanu, and I overheard my dad talking to some of his coworkers, and he said, and someone said, hey, are you Lucas's dad, the kid who played Richie in the play? And my dad said, yes, that's my boy. And I am so proud of him. That day, my dad built a monument for me. And I will never forget how much he loves me. And that no matter who my kids become, no matter who they are like or what they do, I will always love them too. All the books can teach you techniques and practices and tricks, but if you don't live a life worth modeling, if you don't do something that's worth remembering, your kids won't have anything to guide them when you're not around to help them. As parents, we must be creating these monumental moments, and we need to help our kids see where God is at work in each of those moments. It can feel like a lot of pressure, but there's something important that each of us needs to remember. We are in this together. You don't have to do it all alone. It's places like this, communities like Fort City, that when we work together, we can become more impactful parents and give our children a stronger foundation to stand on. So, Send your kid to Camp Nakamon this summer. It's great. I went for four years when I was youth. It, was, it changed my life. You should send them. Make sure you get your student, your teen student, out on a Tuesday night for our youth group. It's a place where our youth leaders can coach and guide our kids in ways that parents are unable to do with their teenagers. You can join the Kids City team and you can help give the next generation of children a faith that can endure the life that's ahead of them. But for each of us, let's find the rocks at the bottom of the river of God's faithfulness and set them at the center of our families. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Let's be building monuments for our kids to remember. Let's take a moment to pray. Father God, I thank you this morning for each 
family that is represented in this room today. I thank you for the incredible diversity of families that we get to call our own here at Fort City. And I just want to take a moment to pray for each person here today, each mom, each dad, each grandparent, each aunt and uncle, each family friend, that Father God, that you would help us to realize that we can play a role, an impactful and important role in the lives of the children around us. That we can be creating moments that they will remember for their whole lives. I pray that you would open each of our eyes and give us greater clarity and understanding to to give us opportunities to build into the lives of the children in this community. And I just pray for our families, anywhere there, where there is brokenness, Father God, that you would restore it to wholeness. Anywhere that there is pain, that you would begin to heal it. That you would strengthen our families in this place. I, we thank you for your faithfulness, God, to each one of us. Help us not to forget it. Amen.